Welcome to Grace Chapel. It is a, a privilege for me to be able to open the Word of God to you this morning. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2. I want to say a word of appreciation to Pastor Kevin and all the, the people that make this work uh, and make it so easy for me to be a part of this ministry, uh, opening the Word of God with you. Uh, and I, I know we sometimes, because we are so close to it, we forget the important role that the music plays in establishing what's going on here today. So uh, thanks to the, the worship team and the, the job that they did. Yes, please. I, I spoke at a youth rally one time, and uh, it was all teenagers, of course. And the, the song leader, I don't know if you remember the, the song, Praise Ye the Lord Hallelujah. Anyone remember that song? Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. And what they would do is they would have, you know, a certain group would stand, praise ye the Lord, and then they would sit and the other group would stand up, hallelujah. And this song leader, I mean, he had them just rocking and screaming. And I mean, it, it went on and on. And he broke it down to words and, and, and the kids were just revved up. To, and he, the song leader, his eyes were getting bigger and bigger the more they sang it. And he, finally, when he finished, he was kind of staggering. He looks at me and he goes, they're all yours. And I'm like, I mean, they, they weren't ready for worship. They were ready to attack somebody. So the music plays a, a very important role. And so we can't underestimate that. Plus all of the support to people who make this ministry go uh, when you get to stand where I do, you, you get a glimpse at that. And uh, it's a very, very great privilege to work together with such fine people. Let's pray and then we'll start in Philippians chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. May we use it to not only please you, but to encourage someone this morning to be what you want them to be, to please them with their lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. During the summer, I watched this show, America's Got Talent. I don't know if you've seen it. America's Got Talent. The premise of the show is people from all over the United States come and they perform. They get 90 seconds to be in front of four judges. Howard Stern, Heidi Klum, uh, Scary Spice, and uh, Howie Mandel. I don't remember her name, but I just remember her as Scary Spice. And then they judge them. And these people, they get 90 seconds. And, you know, there's all kinds of acts. All, and the, the kids perform, little kids, adults, old people. I mean, it's just men, women, groups, single, and all this kind of stuff. And what happens is then the judges evaluate them. And the judges say, you know, I see potential for this act. I'm going to send you through to Vegas. Or I see potential. I think that if you keep improving and keep getting better at this, uh, you're going to go a long way in this competition. And the, the point is not to be satisfied with that moment, but to be encouraged to, to make it more and to progress, to improve, to keep going. And if you watch the show, you, you see that happens. You know, it goes from being a, a, a guy on stage doing a little bit of a dance to this Las Vegas show with lights and cameras and all these other kinds of things. So they do show that kind of progress. In our spiritual life, it's the same hope. The hope is because of our encounter with Jesus Christ, the beginning point, we trust in him as our Savior, that that moment of conversion will lead to a continuing progress. Why some Christians grow and others don't is because sometimes you lock into this experience and say, you know what, I've had this. 
I've trusted Christ, I have that, and there's no progress, there's no continuing. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, Paul writes three ways to embrace spiritual progress. Three ways that we can say, you know what, we're going to move from this point to the point where we're improving, we're growing, we're progressing. The first one is in verse 25, Paul writes this, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. The first way to embrace spiritual progress is to have balance, to have balance. Notice how he describes Epaphroditus. First of all, Epaphroditus is a Gentile, and uh, he has a very Gentile name. It literally means charming. That's what his name literally means. He was a genuine believer who charmed Paul in a great way. And we'll see that in just a moment. But anyway, he writes this. He says, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger. See what's happening there? He's a balanced believer. Paul doesn't say you're just my brother. A brother was a very common term, very common usage during that time where they would call each other brothers if they were engaged in a relationship of following Christ. If they were disciples and they were disciples, my brother, very common term. But then Paul says this, he says, my co-worker, my co-worker, someone that is working together. Co-worker literally means partner, partner. If you take your Bibles and look back to Philippians chapter 1, verse Four, Paul says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Epaphroditus was a co-worker. He was a partner in the ministry that Paul was doing. So not only was he a brother, which was good, but also he is a co-worker. He is someone that ministers with Paul. And notice what else he says, my fellow soldier, my fellow soldier. He, he, he is taking it up. A notch each time. My brother, my co-worker, a fellow soldier. This idea of a fellow soldier, it's a, it's a term of honor. It's a term that was used of those who had devoted themselves to the defense of something. And in this case, they're defending the faith. Uh, Epaphroditus was not only one who knew Jesus, he was not only one who worked for Jesus, but he was one who defended Jesus. He was a soldier, a fellow soldier. It was a term of endearment. Paul says this, he says, he is the one who has devoted himself to serving with me. You see the balance there? He's not just one thing or another. There is a balance in the life of Epaphroditus. Look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Paul writes this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That's Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is this person who Paul says is my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. And notice how Paul describes him. He says, he says it is necessary, it is necessary, it's indispensable, it is compelling this guy has balance. He's got everything you need. It is compelling for me to not only have him with me, but now I need to send him back to you because he's such a critical part to this. And notice what else it says. Who is also your messenger? Your messenger. Epaphroditus had come to Paul to give him a gift. It was a financial gift. 
And he ended up staying and ministering to Paul. He was a messenger. And the word messenger is the word apostle. Of course, he wasn't an apostle like Paul, but he was an official who had been sent by the church at Philippi to minister to Paul. He had an official capacity. Do you see all of the facets of this Epaphroditus? He has so many parts to him. But when you look at him, you find someone who has balance. Someone who has balance and is growing. The idea here is that he is serving the Lord and serving Paul. He is a growing, progressing believer because he has balance. Notice what Paul writes. He says, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Uh, Paul talks about Epaphroditus in so many ways. He wasn't just a believer, but he was a doer. He wasn't just a doer, he was a defender. Uh, Epaphroditus does all of these things. Balance allows you to embrace the spiritual progress that God has for you. You see, we talk about balance all the time, don't we? We talk about balance in schools. I teach. I try to encourage my students to have a balanced life, to only study Western civilization and nothing else. That's balance. Or only study AP government and forget all the other classes. No, we try to encourage them. You know, you want, you want to study. You want to get some sleep. You want to have extracurricular activities. There's nothing that hurts my heart more than when a student comes in and says, I spent all night studying for your test. Why? Why? It's not worth all night. Have balance in your life. And so we encourage students to have balance, but we forget we need to have balance in our Christian experience. You see, some of us are out of, out of balance because we are holding fast to that moment when Jesus saved us, and that's it. And some of us are out of balance because we are only workers. We're only doers. And some of us are out of balance because all we do is we study, we study, we study, and all we want to do is learn more about Jesus, and we learn more, and we don't do anything. Paul says, no, you need to have balance. Epaphroditus had balance. And this balance enables him to experience the good that God has for him. When I was in sixth grade, I went to a basketball camp in a place called Monticello, Ohio. I'm Kentucky, I'm sorry. Monticello, Kentucky. Anyone ever been there? It's a beautiful place. I was in sixth grade, and as a sixth grader, I was at this basketball camp, and I was so impressed by everything that I saw. And they had this one guy, his name was Charlie Duncan, and he was the guy they always picked to do all of the drills, the ball handling drills. And he could handle the ball better than anyone I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, I'm old, so I've seen a lot of people. And this guy, he handled it like you wouldn't, I mean, he did all the drills. The ball looked like it was attached to him. But when he got into a game, nobody would guard him. You know why? He couldn't shoot to save his life. I mean, he couldn't have thrown it in the ocean if he needed to. He could not pass the ball. All he could do was handle it. He was so completely out of balance that it was no good to anyone except the guy that was doing the drills. And sometimes that's what happens in our spiritual experience. We find something that we're comfortable with, and so we hang on to that, and as a result, we fall out of balance instead of being in balance and progressing forward like God would have us to do. Epaphroditus has balance. We need to affirm the balance in our lives. Remember in Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a story about Nehemiah going back to build the walls around Jerusalem. They had been broken down. And when he went back, he issued two things to the men that were working on the walls. He issued them a sword and a trowel. Why was that? Well, because they wanted to have them work as well as defend themselves against those that would come and try to break the walls down. They had two jobs to do. They couldn't say, you know what, I'm only good at 
working a trial. I don't need a sword. No, here's both for you so that you are balanced. You are serving and defending. This morning, do you have balance? Are you a balanced believer or have you fallen out of balance? And so as a result, there is no growth. There is no progress. Please notice the second thing that Paul wants us to understand and to embrace. It says the second thing is to have a burden, have a burden. Notice what he says about Epaphroditus. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The Apostle Paul is saying you need to have a burden. Have a burden. He's not asking you to be a burden. We're good at that, aren't we? I've got all kinds of troubles. Here, take my troubles. Sometimes we even burden people with our successes, don't we? I'm so wonderful and I'm doing so great. And people just are like, oh, we've heard this. And it becomes a burden. But Paul is saying, have a burden. Notice in verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. He longs for you. Epaphroditus was fine with serving Paul. He was okay with that. But he still wanted to go back. He eagerly looked forward to being home. It says in this verse, it says, he ministered to me. But when he found out that you heard that he was ill, that broke his heart. Because he didn't want you to be burdened. He wants you to understand that he is burdened for you. He loves you. He longs for you. There is nothing like being able to travel. I love to travel. This has been a busy summer, and my wife, we were talking about it last night, and, it, and it's gone quickly, but it's been great. We've, we've done so many great things. But isn't it great to come home? Isn't it great to come home? I like Chinese food, and we, we eat at some Chinese restaurants. But there's a place here, around here, and we walk in. They know our order. <laughs> there's something comforting about that, being home, being back. And that's what Epaphroditus was thinking. He was saying, you know what? I love ministering to Paul. I love helping him out. But it's time to go home. It's time to be back because I love those people. I have a burden for them. They are a part of my heart. It says in verse 20, 26, it says, He is distressed. He's restless. He's homesick. Because you heard he was ill. That broke his heart. You know, sometimes we, we like it. You know, somebody finds out that you're not doing well, and you're thinking, well, good. I hope they feel bad too. Not Epaphroditus. He says, listen, that's wasted energy on me. I don't want you to feel bad because of me being ill. I want you to understand that I am anxious to see you. I don't want anything to upset the people that I care for, especially when they worry over me. Epaphroditus was not a part of this admire the problem crowd. He did not want to admire the problem in his life and want you to come around and admire his problem. Instead, he wanted you to understand that he's going to get past this, he's going to be okay, and we're going to work together on something else besides me. Epaphroditus had a burden. When you have a burden for others, you want to lighten their load. When you have a burden for others, you want to come alongside of them and support their burden. When you love someone, you get close to them. Notice what happens in verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. But God had mercy on him. I don't know if you mark in your Bible, but circle, but God. 
Isn't it wonderful when you have a burden for someone else, how God intervenes to help lighten the burden on them? This is what God does. He is the healer. Not only did God have mercy on Epaphroditus by healing him, but notice who else he had mercy on in verse 26. Verse 26, it says this. It says, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Spare me sorrow. You see, not only was Epaphroditus healed and spared, but so was Paul. Paul uses the term sorrow upon sorrow. It's the same idea of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he was crucified and before he was uh, betrayed. He says the same thing. He says, uh, take the sorrow and the sorrow, (laughs) the burden. Paul says, you know, I don't know if I could have taken it if Epaphroditus would have died. That would have crushed me. But God had mercy on me. God intervened. Epaphroditus had a burden for Paul. Epaphroditus had a burden for the church. Epaphroditus had a burden. He was not a burden. This morning, do you have a burden? Do you have a burden for others? Do you have a burden for the church? Do you have a burden for your husband, for your wife, for your children? I want that ministry. I want to love them and support them and come alongside. This morning, do you have a burden or are you being a burden? The Apostle Paul wanted nothing to do with losing Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus wanted nothing to do with hurting the hearts of those he loved. Embracing being balanced. Embracing being a burden. Epaphroditus, if you look at your Bible, look at I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Verse 21 says this of Ephesians chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Epaphroditus, isn't it? That was the way that he wanted to live his life. Now look at Philippians 2.21. Philippians 2.21 says this. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That was not Epaphroditus. You see, Epaphroditus lived in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, not Philippians 2.21, right? He was not a burden. He had a burden. And it was for those that he loved and cared for in Philippi. Now think about this for just a moment. Remember where Paul is when he writes this? He's in prison. He's in prison. And here's Paul being concerned about Epaphroditus, the people of Philippi, and he's in prison. Why is he writing a letter that says, you know what, I'm innocent, I ought to be set free, come and get me, storm the gates, I'm a Roman citizen? Because Paul lived in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 as well. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where are you living this morning? Are you living in chapter 1, verse 21, or chapter 2, verse 21? Paul says, have balance. Paul says, have a burden. And finally, notice what Paul says in verse 28 through 30. He says, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and, may, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. People like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give to me. In verse 28, Paul says, be a blessing. 
you want to move and progress and to grow, be a blessing to someone. Epaphroditus was a blessing to the Apostle Paul. He says, I am all the more eager. I want Epaphroditus to make haste because he is someone that's a blessing. He's someone that is so wonderful to be around and to have with you. I am all the more eager to have him. Uh, so when you see him, you may be glad and, and I may have less anxiety. Now think about that for just a moment. Paul is creating this image. Epaphroditus is going to show up at the church of Philippi. And what is going to be the reaction of the Philippians? Yes, we're glad, right? I've got to tell you, that doesn't always happen with people, does it? There are people you see coming, and what do you do? There are people you see coming, and you act like your phone's ringing, right? Oh, sorry, I've got to get this. Are you that person that when you show up, people are glad you're there? I need to work on that. I need to work on that because, you know, there are, there are, there are times where I see people coming and I don't want to, to deal with it. But that's not the way that it should be. Even though I may not be glad they're coming, I still need to embrace them. I understand that. But also, I need to work on that. So that when I enter a room, do people all get up and leave? <laughs> When I go to a place, am I a blessing? Am I a blessing? You see, the sight of Epaphroditus would bring blessing. They were glad that he was there. Uh, Notice what Paul writes as well. He says, there is going to be less anxiety for Paul. Less anxiety. Uh, Paul was in prison, but he was so excited about Epaphroditus getting to Philippi and ministering to those people, he said, it's going to be better for me because I'm going to know that you're going to be taken care of. These people will experience great goodness because of Epaphroditus. One writer said this. He said, what a tragedy it would be to go through life and not be a blessing to anyone. Are you a blessing this morning? Are you a blessing to your children? Are you a blessing to your spouse? Are you a blessing to your mom or your dad? Are you a blessing The Apostle Paul is trying to encourage us to embrace things that will help us to move along, to progress. Notice what he says in verse 29. He says, honor him. Hold dear this valued prize. Honor, esteem him. A guy like Epaphroditus, we ought to celebrate this guy because he is a blessing to all of us. And so we need to be encouraging about that. Now think about this for just a minute here. When's the last time you told someone they were a blessing to you? When is the last time you reminded your student, your child, your husband, your, who, when was the last time you said, you know, you're a blessing to me? Or when they arrive, you're glad, glad they arrive. When they come in, do you tell them that? The Apostle Paul was unabashed in his praise of Epaphroditus and in encouraging the people of Philippi to do something more for this guy. Honor him. Because notice in verse 30 it says, the reason why we want to honor him is because he risked his life. In, in chapter 2, verse 30, it says, it says this. It says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give. Risking. Uh, the idea of risk here is a gambling term. The word was, was used of, of this uh, gambler who would risk his money for some great gain. Uh, the risk was there. And Epaphroditus was risking himself by going to prison to be with Paul. 
to minister him, to give to him. Even traveling was a risk, but he was willing to do that. Uh, This word is used of merchants who, for the sake of profit, they're willing to risk in order to make money off of their merchandise. Risk is involved. Later in the church, there even became a group of, of ministering people who took this term risk, and that became the, the title of their group. They were the risk takers, and they would minister to the sick and to the dying, risking their own lives to help minister to people. Risk. You see, in order to be a blessing, sometimes we need to risk something. He gambled his life for the sake of Christ to minister to Paul. I don't know where I got this, but someone gave this to me, and I'll read it to you. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. Risk. Risk. Being a blessing involves risk, taking a chance for the sake of Christ, for the sake of others, for the sake of someone. Uh, Paul says to the people in Philippi, honor this one, honor this one. And look at the end of verse 30. It says this, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me, to make up for the... This is not a rebuke. Paul's just trying to help them to understand that he did so much that it made up for anything you couldn't do. He's not telling them anything that they should be upset about. Instead, he is trying to help them to understand that the service that Epaphroditus provided was so good and so efficient that it made up for anything that else they could have done. He was a blessing. He was not a bitter person who had no concern for others. Instead, he was a blessing who reached out to everyone around him. Now think about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Progressing from one place to another. How are we doing? How are we doing? Are we growing and improving? I don't know if you saw in the paper, but uh, Dave Parker, who used to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates and played for the Reds, he's a Cincinnati uh, native, he's from Cincinnati, has been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. He's 62 years old. He says he has his good days and bad days. I read it in an article. And it made me remember, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 80s, The Pittsburgh Pirates were sold. And when they were sold, the new owner sued Dave Parker. They sued Dave Parker to get all the deferred money back. It was like 5.5 million or 6 million. What's a million among friends, right? But, uh, and he sued him. And the reason he sued him is he said, you know, in 1979, he was the most valuable player in baseball. And he never improved again in 1980, 81, 82. His stats never got better. In fact, they went backwards. And he said, so I'm suing him to get my money back. Of course, it was settled out of court and all those kinds of things. But can you imagine? Imagine an owner saying that to a baseball player or to any professional athlete. Listen, you did not perform. I want my money back. Can you imagine God who gave his only son to die the greatest gift that anyone could give, he gave that gift to you and you took that gift and never did anything with it. You never progressed beyond embracing that. You never became a doer, a defender, 
a lover, a burdened person, or blessing. You just clung to the prize, the gift of his son. This morning, may we take the words of the Apostle Paul and be challenged to progress and to improve in our spiritual walk. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son. We don't want to neglect that. But Father, we want to take that gift of your son in our hearts and see our lives change and improve and progress so that we will grow and be more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.